Hi, everybody. Welcome to this Board Game Life episode number 38 titled Podcast Orchestra. The show has been recorded on Sunday, May 22nd, 2016 in the ultra spacious and luxurious This Board Game Life Studios. At least I'd like to think so. All right. Who am I kidding? Anyway, for this show, we'll be covering Dr. Eureka. Philip DuBerry joins me once again to talk about his latest project that he's got going on. Also, we have the results from the contest from episode 37, oh so long ago. There's a new segment uh, for tips for this board game hobby of ours. So uh, let's get on with the show. And welcome back to the show. I'm Rob Milanovic, your host for This Board Game Life. Thanks once again for joining me. I'm very happy to have you here with me uh, once again. Uh, this is the show where we talk about anything and everything relating to the tabletop gaming hobby. So this includes board games, card games, maybe miniature games, uh, anything and everything associated with the hobby. Who knows? Also, I'd like to mention that This Board Game Life does have a YouTube channel. Just uh, go to YouTube and search for This Board Game Life. You'll see the content that I put out there, including some previews, unboxings, game reviews, and such. Looking to get some more content out there uh, very soon. And then also follow This Board Game Life on Twitter, uh, which is at TBoardGameLife. And uh, you'll see uh, everything that I tweet out on there. So uh, let's get on with the show here. Uh, first off, I did want to cover the results of the contest that we had from way back when, uh, <laughs> episode 37. That's such a long time ago, unfortunately. The winner of that contest is Chris M. from Pennsylvania. So congratulations, Chris. You got shipped out to you a long, long time ago, a copy of Guildhall and a couple other AEG goodies as well. So thanks for entering. Actually, thanks to everybody who entered the contest and congratulations to Chris for winning. Hope you enjoyed the goods. So uh, next up, let's uh, go on to our interview. Uh, we're once again joined by Philip DuBerry. So here we go. Hey folks, quick note before we get on with the interview, we had some audio issues with uh, one side of the recording where things were kind of looping back a little bit causing an echo. I cleaned it up as best as I could, but uh, it's still there in some of the sections. But uh, sorry about that, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Thanks. It's Philip DuBerry, the designer of games such as Skyway Robbery, Revolution, Kingdom of Solomon, Spirits of the Rice Paddy, and a whole bunch of others. Welcome to the show once again, Philip. Hey, Glad thanks for having me on. on. Oh, no worries, no worries. It's always a pleasure. Whenever you want to come back, you just let me know. <laughs> I definitely enjoy having you on, and I'm sure that uh, my listeners enjoy it as well. Yeah. I hear through the interwebs that you have a new game that that you're uh, going to be producing pretty soon here. It's called Black Orchestra. Mm -hmm. I'm very interested to find out a little bit about that game. The very unusual, at least nowadays, method that you have of of people purchasing this game, <laughs> <That is laughs> which uh, definitely interests me. It's, sure. I don't know if it's a risky move or a genius move. <laughs> we don't but, know either. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, 
but from uh, from what I've seen, it's it's been tested before. But uh, what can you tell me about your new game here? What's it all about? Okay. Well, Black Orchestra is a cooperative game, and so you can play it solo or you can play it with up to five different people. And in the game, you are um, part of the conspiracy against Adolf Hitler during World War II. So you're all, you're all Germans and um, in various places in the government or in the military or uh, just citizens. Throughout through the game, you, you grow more and more angry with the situation and more and more determined to do something about it. And you discover some various plots that, that uh, you could put together and you're collecting uh, different items to help you do that and different cards to give you some extra little boost to, to do that. And meanwhile, the, uh, the Gestapo is sort of chasing you and investigating you um, and in some cases arresting you every once in a while and putting you through some interrogations um, as you're trying to do this. But ultimately, you're trying to assassinate Hitler before it's too late, before um, he, he does so much damage that it's irreversible. And... Um, because everybody knows the, the Allies are coming, they're going to win. Hitler's driving Germany into the ground and doing all kinds of terrible atrocities. And uh, so you want to put a stop to it as quickly as possible. From what I read in your designer notes for this game, uh, this game had a different title originally and you changed it? Well, actually, this was the original title. And then um, when we... Uh, signed with uh, Game Salute, they they had the idea of maybe changing the name to Hitler Must Die, just to be a little bit more obvious about what it is. And I I think maybe back then the thinking was it would be it would help with the marketing and um, just the recognition of what it was. But as we finished up the game and um, really got into understanding the feel that we were going for and and got the art together. Uh, it just really seemed a little crass and uh, unnecessary to do that. So we right. kind of so we traded back to the original name, Black Orchestra, which is actually what the Gestapo called the conspirators. That's kind of what their code name was for them. You know, it's a little bit more mysterious. You're not exactly sure what that is. So you, maybe it would be intriguing, or maybe you know you wouldn't exactly know what kind of game that w- that would be until you looked at it. But um, you know, the response has been pretty good, actually. Uh, several people have commented saying that they much prefer the Black Orchestra name. That's the title that drew them in to find out more about it. And some of them said, oh, if it had been Hitler Must Die, that sounds like some kind of, you know, stupid game that they didn't, wouldn't care about. And that's not what this is. This yeah. is a very serious treatment, I hope, of the uh, of the material. And so that's kind of what we were going for. Oh, absolutely. And do you think that... The subject matter that it touches upon, is that maybe too sensitive for some people? Well, I mean, that's or, another thing that, that's come up. Um, not uh, not in any great way. Like nobody's said that they, they, are, um, they think it's going too far or something like that. Um, I mean, we're definitely on the right side of history on that. Yes. Um, however we made the decision that we're not going to be able to sell the game in Germany just because of reviewing all of their uh, laws about symbols and things that you can have. I mean, we pretty much violate, you know, 15 oh, wow. or 20 different uh, laws. 
in the game um, just based on the, the way their codes are. Um, and so, you know, that's that's kind of its own discussion. And uh, we don't know very much about the specifics of the law or how to, you know, how, how that would be. But um, I don't I, I hope that it's not going to be offensive to anyone. Certainly, that's not the idea. And certainly we're not trying to be flippant about it. So I hope that we hit the right tone with people and I hope they understand where we're coming from. Yeah, because it is a uh, cooperative game and you're playing on the right side, I guess our side. Although, I mean, and it is, you know, it is a little morally ambiguous too, because yeah, you're on the right side, but you are still Nazis, some of them. Not not all of them are part of the Nazi party, but some of them were. And, uh, some of the characters, you know, maybe had given lend lend a hand to some of the, you know, things that went on, or uh, inadvertently or kind of indirectly, you know, supported the regime at least at the beginning, maybe before people realized exactly where it was going. And so maybe you know you can see where some people would have <laughs> some reservations about that maybe, but uh, I think it's a it's an important historical event to underscore. And uh, certainly something we shouldn't ever forget. Oh, definitely. And I I think it's definitely a lot more palatable for folks to be trying to stop Hitler as opposed to being on the opposite side of that coin where you are Hitler and you're trying to stop, uh, you know, any kind of revolt or your assassination. I I think that people would have a lot more issue with that. Sure. How did you come upon uh, choosing this as the like the theme and the, the core of the game. Right. Well, I've always been interested in World War II and um, and in those stories. And um, it's always been fascinating to me. You know, I grew up watching World War II movies and, um, and documentaries and all kinds of things like that, going to museums. And um, I just, uh, it's always been very interesting. And then uh, as I, you know, as I've gotten older, I've read, quite a few books about the subject and coming from different um, angles. And uh, the, the one book that I think really inspired me the most was uh, Eric Metaxas's um, biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which uh, is one of the best books I've read probably ever, but uh, certainly within the last, you know, 10 years or so. But I, if, if you're looking for something interesting to read about, second world war i would definitely suggest that book well as far as the game goes how how does it play Uh, what do you do each player has a player board so you're playing an actual character um and everybody has a special ability that they can unlock they don't have it at the beginning so at the beginning of the game you have a kind of a scale where you start off uh, your motivation starts off you're kind of timid and you're not really willing to do very much against the regime at this point. So you can only har- hold two cards. That's all you can do. That's your, your power. <laughs> but, so it's almost like you're testing the waters. Right, right. But, but as your motivation increases through various means, then you can hold more cards, and then finally you can do your special ability sometimes if you want to. And then finally you're so motivated that you'd be willing to carry out one of the plots. There are a few plots that you have to actually be zealously motivated, which is even higher, just to carry them out, um, some of the more dangerous ones. And so you're, you're kind of going around and collecting things. And at the same time, you have another track on your uh, player board that is tracking your suspicion level. And so some of the things that you do raise your suspicion level. 
And so if your suspicion goes all the way to extreme and uh, at the end of every turn, a, 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 an event card comes out. And if one of them is a Gestapo uh, card, then whoever's on extreme will go to jail immediately. If everybody ends up in jail, you lose the game. There are some ways to get people out of jail. If you're in jail, your turn is, is rolling a dice. And, and then if you, if you roll badly, you will be interrogated. And there's these special interrogation cards that you have to sort of pick some bad thing that's going to happen to everybody <laughs> based on the information that you've told them. So it's to your, in your best interest to get people out of jail as quickly as possible. Um, okay. And then there's some, some other, uh, there's Hitler and some of his deputies that are kind of are moving around the board at the same time. And they sort of cause trouble for you every once in a while. And uh, so the events sort of move you through the events of uh, the war, not exactly in chronological order, but kind of close to it. So we've kind of mixed them up a little bit. We've removed some here and there randomly, so you're not exactly sure what's coming, but you have sort of a, a general arc that you can expect. And um, and ultimately, at the end of it, if you've not been successful by the end, the Gestapo will hunt you down and find your secret stash of papers, and, and they will end your conspiracy. Okay. Now, this being a cooperative game, uh, is it solo playable? It is. You um, the way we have it now is you you just play two of the characters at the same time, so it's pretty much identical to the other the multiplayer version. Okay. So you're just taking twice the moves essentially, right. and and such. Okay. Now, now this, game this game is not like some, like some of your other games are actually uh, quite a few of them where they've been on Kickstarter in the past. Now, this game is using a different system. Uh, it's like a pre-order system. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, um, well, I, I think the idea was that we wanted to try something a little different. Um, it sort of fits well with the theme being a little more kind of below the radar. And um, I don't know, I think they felt like maybe a Kickstarter page was a little bit of not quite achieving the uh, the feel of the of the game or uh, conveying what we were trying to do, I guess. Um, okay. You know, and GameSalute's done a lot of Kickstarters. Uh, they've and you know now they've been able to deliver most of them, and things are um, you know coming around uh, in a good way. Um, and yet, I think they're wanting to maybe try something new here and there. They've actually done a uh, pre-order campaign for maybe one or two of their other games in the past and it's worked pretty well and so um, they wanted to give it a shot with this one because i know that there's some publishers that have done something like this recently and they've had a fair amount of success so i don't see why this couldn't be successful as well for you know you and, and other folks and, you know there are some advantages you don't have to pay kickstarter for all the things that they do there's a lot of busy work that you can can uh, avoid uh, in the back end of things. Um, it's maybe maybe uh, the people maybe have a different um, presentation of the excitement level as far as you know watching all the numbers go up and things like that. But um, I think we've been able to generate a pretty fair amount of excitement. We've had some good success on Board Game Geek and uh, gotten a lot of exposure and. Uh, we have the game up on Tabletopia now, and so it's free to play for anybody that wants to. Uh, and some people have tried it out and, and given us their feedback, and that has all been very good. And so I, I feel like that we've done 
some good things to uh, to to get the word out. So with the pre-order that you've got, a person would go to the Black Orchestra website. They would place their pre-order. And what happens if you don't meet your goal that you have? Well, on uh, June 15th, the, uh, the, the folks will decide what they want to do. And if they want to continue it a little bit more, if they want to... Uh, you know, maybe things have not gone well. If they, if that's the case, they will cancel the whole thing and make sure everybody has their money, and um, none of those payments will go through. Um, but if they decide that yes, we will make it, then they'll maybe commit to it, and and um, then it will it'll be on, and they may keep it open for a little while, while longer. Or I'm not exactly sure. You know, we have some options here. So, um, but the June fifteenth date is when we'll kind of know what's what's going to happen i think so it's kind of like the line in the yeah, sand yeah. that you have so for, so for people that are interested in the game it, there's really no difference than kickstarter really sure yeah you, it's, it's it's a very similar idea i think so people will have a place to go to uh do their order even though Kickstarter isn't a pre-order system, so they say a lot of people think different, of course. Uh, you have the same amount of low risk that you do uh, on Kickstarter. Okay. And uh, as far as the game is concerned, I was reading on your site that the whole game is basically complete. And it's not like one of those where at least I've... Uh, backed in the past where, okay, you finally get backed and then they continued development for another six months. Right, exactly. Yeah, and that was something that was important for this game as well. We wanted to have pretty much everything in place and all the art is in place. And um, so we're, by June 15th, um, you know, we'll be ready to push the, the print button almost immediately. Um, and that means we can deliver the game before the end of the year, which is pretty good for you it's know amazing considering what kickstarters do and you know some of the game salute ones in the past have been like well we'll give it to you in a year or a year and a half or something like that um but i mean by the end of the year it's pretty good and uh well absolutely so the pre- especially considering it's may right, right now. and the, the pre-order system is allowing us to, to do that to have a shot at doing that so that's that's an advantage excellent uh, what do you think about uh, having your game available on Tabletopia for people to try? I think I think it's been. Uh, this is some, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say. I was going to say this is something that uh, you don't really hear about currently, and I'm sure that folks are going to be using it more and more. But uh, do you think that it kind of helps people make the decision to back the game? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think the the way you sell games is is have people play the game, and so. And I think I think we've already seen that that is as what's going on, um, and so we want to try and encourage as many people as possible to play it, and um, to see what it's all about and try it out and see if that's something that that you know their group would be interested in, and um, make them feel comfortable about what they're what they're getting behind, rather than having to wait and see you know later or take somebody's word for it you know I mean there's lots of reviewers but. Uh, it's not the same as playing it yourself. Oh, absolutely. And that's, the full and that's the full game that's on Tabletopia, right? It's not a pared down. Light no, version. yeah, it's the full game. There are, uh, there are a few more characters that um, we may release um, as, as we go into the campaign right now, there are five that you can play. 
but uh, there will there are a total of nine and then there are three additional that are kind of the secret ones that you will get if you uh, pre-order and technically with the game being cooperative and soloable you can play this by yourself you don't even need to have people right. uh, come in right, with you into tabletopia and tabletopia is free with this mm-hmm. particular uh, link that you have so there's no sure. cost so it seems like a, a win-win <laughs> and it's been it's been really folks. good with uh to to help with uh you know reviewers and last night we had a pretty good session with some different reviewers and we were able to record that and so that's on youtube um we have a link to that where you can watch some reviewers play the game and see what they thought about it and i think they're going to be writing some things in the coming days about uh their experience now you started this game uh, I see in 2011, mm-hmm. I believe that's when the development started on it. So I would think that you started that development process using the I'll call it traditional, <laughs> the old school way of development, probably uh, paper and cardboard and, and who knows what else. Did you? Let's say recently switch over to Tabletopia. Well, that's definitely been uh, a recent development. And, um, and it has, um, I think they, they came on the scene, what about maybe that's what, six months ago or less than a year ago, something like that. Um, and it is, it has been revolutionary. I think, I think it's, it's helped my job as trying, you know, trying to play test games. I know I have several other projects that we have been play testing through Tabletopia. And, um, I know there are some other services that, uh, kind of work the same way but i think that uh, theirs is is top notch and um they're not quite even all the way through with it but it's already very very good very smooth and um i mean the just the uh, ability to play the game and test your game with somebody from anywhere and uh, you know you don't have to go to anybody's house you don't have to go to some faraway place um right you can do it from the comfort of your own home get in those those playtest sessions and make changes and and go back and do it again you know almost immediately or the next day that is fantastic and uh, it's it's led to uh, a quicker development process so i remember a couple of years ago you posted a guide on how to make uh, some prototype boards and i think you had box you showed how you made boxes for your prototypes <laughs> and such no, that's pretty much history. Well, I mean, isn't it? I think you, you, <laughs> you still want to make some, uh, you know, to show to certain people. Uh, you know, if you're going to be at a convention Conventions. and you know presenting to a publisher or something like that, or running some demos um, ahead of the Kickstarter, it's nice to have a good copy to uh, you know when you're at a certain place and you can physically play the game. Certainly, the physical uh, game is more authentic and I think maybe enjoyable, but, but the tabletopia experience, you, you sort of forget that you're even playing it on the computer sometimes. So it's, it's pretty close. Oh, definitely. I would think that it would almost let you focus more on the game. If you need to change something, it would be super quick Mm -hmm. to change in tabletopia. And then when you kind of have that nailed down and it's working, that's when you can, let's say do a couple of the prototypes, mm-hmm. the physical ones, and you're not constantly remaking right. things yeah. or changing things around as, 
as the development process as playtesting continues. So, okay, that, that's very cool. And uh, I, I definitely see that being the future of things. And um, do you see yourself using that more and more on, on all your future? Yeah, games? I think so. And um, it's it's just too easy to to do the development on it and uh, and to, to get other draw other people in and, and raise awareness for it. And uh, it, yeah, it's it's definitely a good good tool. Okay. So, uh, where can, so uh, where can people go to uh, pre-order? Well, the website is just um, blackorchestra.com. So that's um, you don't even have to go to Kickstarter or whatever else. It's we have our own thing, and you can kind of see we have an Intel side of the website, which you we give updates pretty much every day, and um, there's some place for questions. Um, most of the discussion, I think, has been happening on Board Game Geek. So if you go to our Board Game Geek page for Black Orchestra, which should be pretty easy to find these days, um, you can. You know, we've been responding on there as quickly as we can, and um, having some good discussions with people, uh, people asking questions and things. And uh, so that's that's kind of been how we've uh, been connecting with people. And they have until uh, June fifteenth, approximately. Right, and then right, to, and then we'll know uh, if uh, enough people have um, pre-ordered or not, <laughs> or what yes. we'll and what yes. we'll do about it, and uh, how that's going to go. <laughs> uh, definitely great to hear about that new title. Uh, do you have anything else that you've been working on? Well, we actually do have a a traditional Kickstarter that's going to be um, starting tomorrow. So by the time this is up, it'll already be live. And that is um, the game is uh, is called Chief Inspector, and this is a small card game that is sort of based in the same world as Skyway Robbery, and it's also okay. there's another game on the Kickstarter as well called City of Outcasts by another designer. Both of them are, are smaller card games and quicker to play, but still uh, in kind of the the same feel and spirit of that uh, Skyway Robbery universe and so yeah i think that that this is a smaller goal and um a smaller project but still I, i'm proud of uh, how that's worked out and it's a fun game to play and i, I haven't played city of outcast but it looks very interesting as well okay so we're recording this on the 17th of of may so it's going to be live on right. the 18th and i think that's going to run and, for uh, about uh, two and a half weeks so it's going to be a shorter campaign okay and then uh, how many players is that for? Is that like a two-player game? Well, I think Chief more? Inspector is two to four right now. And City of Outcasts looks like it is from two to four as well. Would that be classified as just, you know, a, a normal card game or is that like Well, a I think game? City of Outcasts is more of a micro game. I think that there's only uh, maybe 14 cards or something like that. Um, my game is a little more traditional. It's got a, 105 cards, okay. um, although you don't use them all to play in a traditional sort of way, but there is a hand sure. in some uh, different rounds. Um, the idea in, in uh, Chief Inspector is that you you are trying to find the most notorious criminal and arrest them, which is kind of interesting because in Skyway Robbery, you are the criminals, and now in this game, you're trying to arrest exactly. those same criminals from that game, which is kind of interesting. And so there's um, there's about four different uh, characteristics that for each of the the uh, criminals. And what you're going to do is you're going to secretly try to figure out 
um, and look at those. And um, each one of them has kind of a different uh, value on it. And some of them have negative values too. And then some of them also give you a, a corruption um, card, which um, at the end of the game, if you have the most corruption, you cannot win the game. So you have to be careful about that. But then ultimately, at the end of the game, after you've figured out who you're going to arrest and everybody else is locked in, who they're after, you flip over all the cards and see which one actually was the most notorious criminal. And so it's a lot of moving around and shifting and subterfuge and all of that and trying to, to figure out, you know, um, deduce which one is, is the best one to go for. Did you have anything else that uh, you wanted to let uh, our listeners know? I guess the, the um, of course, I have several other projects in the works, but I would like to mention uh, Kingdom of Solomon. And uh, you've actually got to yes. play that uh, at least one of, the, uh, <laughs> one of the versions. We've made a few changes, but that's uh, pretty close to what you played. Um, this was a game that came out in 2011 by Minion Games. And um, it, it met with critical acclaim and people liked it, and yet nobody bought it. <laughs> and so we uh, had trouble with our sales. That was the very beginning of Kickstarter. And so I think we raised $10,000 and we were right. so excited about that. Uh, <laughs> and um, James was not uh, ready to, he didn't, he didn't have any interest in, in publishing it again or doing some kind of different version of it. But I felt like that the game deserved to right. have a second chance. And so he gave me the rights back to it. And I've since found a new publisher, which is Fun Hill Games, which they've done. Um, they did uh, Kings of Israel last year and did a, a good a Kickstarter about that. And uh, it's a good fit. It's a good company. And I think um, we are well on our way to uh, producing a, a much better version of Kingdom of Solomon. Kind of sticking close to a lot of the same elements as the, the first one, but still quite a few changes and tweaks and um, even whole systems that have been overhauled. And uh, so that that will be on Kickstarter sometime at the end of the year. That's what we're aiming for. Kingdom of Solomon is definitely a fantastic game, and everybody that I've played it with has enjoyed it. Yeah, like you said, it just seemed to go under the radar for a lot of people, and uh, I never understood that. And I'm very happy to hear that there's a new version that's coming out, and hopefully uh, when that does come out, uh, you can tell our listeners more about it by coming back on the show. Uh, Where can we find out uh, more information about you or some of the projects that we're working on? Well, my website is uh, fantasiogames.net. I'm on Twitter as is P. Dewberry, and um, I have a Facebook group as well for uh, Fantasio Games. There's several different places, and um, look forward to uh, getting these projects out and uh, and seeing them through and delivered and um, successful. So uh, thanks for coming on once again, and uh, uh, good luck with, uh, with your right, well, titles thank you here. very much. And for this episode, uh, there's uh, one game that I'd like to talk about, and that's Dr. Eureka. Dr. Eureka was released in 2015 by Blue Orange Games, designed by Roberto Fraga. Plays one to four folks in about 15 minutes uh, per game, and supports ages eight and up. And um, I'd say that's right about on for the ages specifically. Uh, what kind of game is this? Well, it's a dexterity family game where you're uh, basically pattern building in a bunch of uh, test tubes. 
That's probably the best way to describe them. And uh, the flavor text for the game says, the brilliant Dr. Eureka has important experiments for you to complete. You must solve his scientific formulas by making the molecules from tube to tube without touching them with your bare hands. And of course, that's touching the molecules, not the tubes. You have to touch the tubes. Transfer your molecules faster than your competition in Dr. Eureka to prove you're the smartest scientist in the lab. I'd say that is uh, pretty much right on there. So uh, what do you get in this game? Well, you get a whole bunch of molecules, which are these little plastic balls in three different colors. There's a purple color, green and red for the colorblind folks out there, which include myself. Green and red can strike fear into the hearts of everybody that's colorblind. And fortunately, at least for me, uh, red and green are okay in this game. They are uh, different enough where they can be discerned. Uh, At least you can tell the difference between them, thankfully. Uh, The game comes in a pretty cool little plastic uh, insert where all of the test tubes are held properly. You put the balls inside of them so things don't rattle around in there. Thank you, thank you so much, Blue Orange Games, for that. Because this one could have been ugly if everything was just rattling around uh, in the box. Uh, Artwork is pretty good on it. Uh, Basically, the artwork is really on the rules and the uh, there's a bunch of cards that come with the game and the box. So uh, it's nice cartoony artwork. As far as uh, the actual game pieces themselves, there's really just three things. Test tubes... There's the balls, which are the molecules, and the cards. And uh, the cards are square-shaped, which sometimes can be annoying, at least to me. Although, for this game, they are just fine. You're really not holding them in your hand. That's my main gripe with the uh, square cards, for the most part. Rulebook is fairly simple to read. It's uh, a fold-out, multi-fold piece of uh, paper Uh, When it's all folded up, it's about the size of the cards, which themselves are maybe, I don't know, about uh, three inches square, two and a half inches square, approximately. So the rule book actually kind of fits pretty nice into the box. And uh, it is more than adequate for the game because the game is is pretty simple. So I know I've kind of uh, been going around and around about the game. So what is the game about? Uh, That's probably what you're wondering. Well, Basically, what you're doing in this game is you have a stack of cards, and the cards depict three different test tubes. Every player has three test tubes, and in those test tubes, you will have two green balls, two red balls, and two purple balls. As you draw these cards uh, from the face-down stack, the cards will depict three test tubes with a certain combination of molecules in in them. So you'll have, let's say, in one of them, there'll be like green, green. The next one will be purple, red, purple. And then the last one will be just red. I hope I got all six of those colors. If I didn't, forgive me. When everybody starts in the game, everybody has takes their three test tubes. And you're trying to move the balls from tube to tube, trying to uh, set, the, set up the combination that you have on the card. The first person that reaches that combination, uh, they score that card, which is a point. 
and the game ends when five points are scored. There are a couple of variants, like I, like one of them, I believe, is you can hold. You actually have to hold all three test tubes. Uh, that makes it a little bit harder. And if you do drop any balls on the table or the floor, you are done. You're supposed to be removed from the rest of the round, although you can continue after that round is complete. So definitely, definitely try to not do that. And for the most part, uh, for the adults at least, that is, uh, it's, it's pretty easy to get all of the balls from tube to tube and not drop them on the floor. However, uh, kids will have an issue with that, I guarantee. The younger they are, the more these things will be all over the place. So uh, you might want to have some house rules or such uh, when you're playing with family members, especially young kids, because um, it's no fun if you're out of every single round. Also, there's a rule that lets you do upside-down combinations, and what I mean by that is that let's say the card for this particular round wants purple, purple, green, and this is from top-down order. What you can do is you can do green, purple, purple. So that's basically the same molecules, however, or same color molecules, however, upside down. And then as you uh, finish up and shout Eureka for the end of the game, you can flip your tube upside down on the table, hopefully not dumping your molecules all over the floor. And uh, that will count just fine. However, I've basically been playing the game the entire time without that rule. I find it's a little more challenging, especially for the kids uh, when they're playing, uh, to just play them as they are shown in the card. Maybe it makes the rounds just last a little bit longer because you are shuffling things around, but um, it makes it a little bit simpler. So overall, this game is a lot of fun. A lot of fun for adults, a lot of fun for kids, it teaches this really wonderful like logic system where kids can kind of figure out, hey, you know, if, if I need purple, purple, green over here in this tube, how do I get that? Well, maybe if I put the purples over here in this tube for a little bit and then move the red from here to here, then I'll have the green available. I'll put those back. You know, kind of like uh, there used to be this game years ago. Actually, we built it in wood shop when I was in school called Towers of Hanoi, where you move these discs around from post to post, trying to get them in the proper order or to move them around. It's kind of like that, if you're familiar with that at all. And it gives kids this wonderful sense of accomplishment. Like, I figured this out, and I never expected to see this type of uh, learning. I'll call it learning, like logic learning. I never expected to see this from this game. I figured it would just be something uh, kind of fun to do, maybe a little um, challenging in terms of dexterity. However, it, it it had this hidden surprise of this like wonderful logic system that uh, my son in particular, he's like, I want to play that game again. He's like, I, I did it awesome. And it, it was just, it was, I was well enough, well enough just watching the little guy play the game. And uh, he also does, my son, by the way, does like to play this game in a non-competitive fashion, just where we go through the cards and go from uh, basically round to round, just not rushing, 
uh, building the combinations and such. And it's like, hey, hey, let's do another one. So there's definitely this feeling of accomplishment, and uh, it's it's something special. So this game is great fun. I definitely did enjoy it. My whole family enjoyed it. Everybody showed it to enjoyed it. It is a pretty good family game. It plays quickly, 10, 15 minutes, and you're done. Uh, it's maybe filler category, or uh, it's enough at the end of the at the end of the game night in case you're all burnt out from something really, really heavy. Uh, good for families. It's going to be iffy with the kids. Depends on how good they are at moving things around because it could be really frustrating for them and maybe for you if you're picking up molecules off of the floor all the time. Definitely replayable and uh, something that you might want to check out. Now for a new segment for the show. This is something that I've been playing around with for a while Thought it would be something cool to do. Maybe even do some YouTube videos on this as well. And that is this board game life tips section. So here's a tip for this episode. It's basically something that I know a lot of people know. And surprisingly, a lot of people don't. So I figured I'd cover it here. And that's when you get that shiny new game and you start punching things out, you'll find sometimes you get a ton of space in that game. So as soon as that box goes vertical, all the components are going to be falling out of the insert, if there is a decent insert in there at least. So what's a gamer to do? Well, something that uh, a lot of people know to do and was actually even called out in a couple of games, most recently Quadropolis had this, and that's as soon as you punch out all the components from the uh, punch boards or whatever you want to call it, the chipboard, As soon as you punch all of those components out, lift up the insert and tuck all of the old, I'll call them spent sprues, whatever you want to call them, just tuck that inside under the insert, put the insert back on. And then at that point, you should have a very snug insert, meaning that when the box lid gets closed, then there should be... Uh, basically no wiggle room for the board and some of the components in there. Now, there are some games out there that will have a whole ton of boards inside, and the manufacturer, um, when they shrink wrap everything, you'll, you'll see that the box lid does not close all the way down. And when you remove all of the boards from the box, then it does close properly. For those, you might not be able to put all of the boards back. You'll kind of have to do it by trial and error, see how many boards uh, you need to put underneath the uh, insert in order for things to uh, fit properly. And then lastly, the last tip that I want to add for this is uh, something that I've never heard uh, anybody mention previously, and that's that you can always leverage foam core. So if there is a game that doesn't necessarily have enough spent boards to put underneath the insert, you can always Grab some inexpensive foam core, the stuff you can find super cheap at stores like Dollar Tree, where it's a dollar a sheet for their really, really cheap foam core. But hey, if it's under the insert, who's to know? Who is to know? So one one dollar board can give you a couple of uh, sheets of uh, insert padding. So with this, you just basically can take either the insert itself or the rules, or even one of the old insert boards, or not insert boards, one of the old uh, punch boards that you have uh, spent, and uh, just trace that to get your sizing, 
Uh, if you trace the outside of the box, it's going to be too big. You might need to eyeball it if you do that and uh, cut it a little short. But uh, however you do it, you put it underneath there and it should get you pretty close. So uh, that is the tip for episode 38. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you uh, at least got a cool idea from the foam core piece of that. All right. And then last up, we have 20 shows ago. Uh, the show 18 was on August 12th, 2012. So that's almost four years ago that uh, that episode was released. Talked about a whole bunch of games. I'm only going to cover a bunch of them. The first off is Gonzaga. This is a much under unappreciated game, definitely. Virtually nobody knows about it. And you can occasionally find it on clearance in a bunch of places nowadays. But it's great fun. I definitely need to break this game out. Haven't played it in forever. Very, very cool little game. Familia, or Familia, if you'd like to say it improperly. Card game by Friedman Fries. Uh, definitely a classic game. Still love it to this day. A lot of fun to play. And it actually plays fairly well on Yucata. Uh, one, of the, one of my more favorite games out there. Mice and Mystics. So Mice and Mystics was a game that... Um, I first tried at the Gen Con show uh, that I went, uh, I believe, wow, that was probably 2012, 2013. Actually, no, it would have been 2012, I believe. So I uh, played it back then and was lukewarm about it. Uh, since then, they've had a bunch of expansions come out for this, and the game has uh, taken off like wildfire and I've since kind of um, revised my thoughts on the game, and I, I like it. Definitely a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful family game. Uh, definitely check it out if you haven't. Lords of Waterdeep uh, seems to have turned into kind of like a cult classic gateway game. Uh, pretty cool game. And they have their expansion, uh, Scoundrels or something. Oh, the name escapes me right now. But there's an expansion for it that adds some interesting stuff to it. Uh, definitely still a good game. Then Zuloretto Werfelspiel, which has come out in an English version, Zuloretto the Dice Game, still a good game. Uh, and there's going to be a an expansion for it, actually. I saw this last year. I don't know if it's come out yet, but I'm actually interested to see if something has come out with it. I believe it was supposed to be just a new pad, that you play on so uh hopefully we'll see something about that pretty soon if it hasn't come out and uh so that's it so in closing uh, we have uh, game lust only a couple of things i really want to mention uh, some stuff that sparked my interest of late this war of mine the board game has uh, come out it's on kickstarter right now actually so it hasn't come out it is uh, on kickstarter uh, this game is just fantastic. If you're into PC games at all, definitely, definitely check this game out. It's also out on Xbox One. Uh, not the original game. It's kind of like a, a console version of the game. This is the board game version of it. It's got a couple miniatures. The entry price for the game is a little up there. However, I'm really, really hoping that this game is a winner and it's designed by Michael Aratz. Hopefully I pronounced that name properly. So 
Michael has been uh, working on games for a long, long time. This is definitely not his first effort at games. You might uh, know him best from Hiroshima Hex, and he's uh, done a bunch of art and development for Portal games as well for a couple other titles uh, like 51st State and uh, a couple of others. Definitely, definitely looking forward to this game for sure. And also another game that I'm really interested in is One Deck Dungeon. This is the latest game that's going to be coming out from Esmati Games and Chris Sislik. It's a cool little card game. They've definitely had a whole bunch of winners in the past, like all the Carl Chudik games. So uh, whenever they have something new, I'm always interested to uh, see what it's all about. And I believe this one is going to be up on Kickstarter sometime soon. So there you have it. Uh, That was episode 38 of This Board Game Life. Uh, We saw uh, what uh, Philip DeBerry was up to with Black Orchestra and can't wait also for Kingdom of Solomon, uh, which is going to be redone in a new form. Then uh, also Dr. Eureka was definitely a surprise hit. And uh, it's also interesting to see all the the new ways that companies are trying to get around Kickstarter. So uh, good luck to Philip and uh, Black Orchestra. So uh, make sure to follow this board game life on Twitter. That's T Board Game Life. Uh, also, we have a guild on Board Game Geek. Check that out. And uh, feedback is never required, but always appreciated if you leave a voicemail on the thisboardgamelife.com website. So there's a widget on the right-hand side of the screen. Just click that, and you can leave a voicemail. Or if you send an email, send it to contact at this board game life. And uh, we will use whatever you send on the next show. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And I'll see you on episode 39.